you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 28. We're going to talk about great literature and musicals this morning. And all the guys in the audience are like, amen. No, okay. So, um, I have an English degree from a very prestigious university from across town. Um, So, thankful to have been exposed to a lot of great literature. However, I, I need to come clean with you guys. I've not read this particular novel that I'm going to talk about, okay, so if you come up to me after and you want to talk about it, I'm sorry, you'll have to do all the talking and I'll, I'll do the listening, okay, but Les Mis, are y'all familiar with this, this musical, this novel, um, translated in English, has multiple translations, but The Miserable Ones, it sounds like a very uplifting story, uh, but oddly enough, it is an uplifting story of redemption. This is Victor Hugo's novel where he spans about 20 years of French history. But really he focuses on this ex-convict Jean Valjean who um, experiences forgiveness and redemption in this story. And this is how Hugo himself kind of describes his book. He says, the book the reader has before him at this moment is from one end to the other in its entirety and details, a progress from evil to good, from injustice to justice, from falsehood to truth, from night to day, from appetite to conscience, from corruption to life, from bestiality to duty, from hell to heaven, from nothingness to God. That's his own description of what he's writing and trying to accomplish with this novel. And this novel has been adapted into musicals and and movies. And in the very opening act of the musical, we're introduced to a character named Fontaine. And she is out of work, destitute, desperate. She's she's so... um, in such despair for money to take care of her daughter, she's actually cut her hair and pulled out some of her teeth to sell in order to make money to take care of her daughter. And so she sings this song, and it's a beautiful song, but it is extremely sad. But I'm going to read the the words of this song to you and see if in some ways you relate to the lyrics of this song. The name of the song is I Dreamed a Dream. And if you turn to Genesis 28, you see maybe in your heading that Jacob dreamed a dream. But listen to Fontaine's words here. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. I hope we made that clear. I dreamed that love would never die. I prayed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder. As they tear your hopes apart, 
and they turn your dream to shame. Still our dreams becomes to me that we should live years together, but there are dreams that cannot be and there are storms we cannot weather. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. These are the words of a desperate woman who is acutely feeling loneliness, despair. The, the darkness that surrounds her has become really overwhelming and she's hopeless. This is a woman who had plans, had dreams, and she's now dealing with this sense of dis- disappointment as that dream has, in her words, been taken away. Does that at all resonate with you? I mean, have you had expectations for life and how it would go and how it would look that didn't get met? Maybe you had this dream of a perfect life, perfect marriage, perfect job. Finances would be perfect. There would be no suffering, no heartache, no pain, no brokenness. But the truth is this world is full of brokenness and sin, particularly our sin. That is snuffed out a lot of our dreams, has caused us to have these expectations that were not met, and we feel some of what Fontaine is feeling, that despair, that agony, that that idea of, I I thought it was going to look like this, and it looks nothing like what I thought it would. But the truth is, I think God really wants to offer us a better dream than those dreams we've dreamed. And we get a picture of that here in Genesis 28 with Jacob. Now, Jacob is the younger son of Isaac. He's the grandson of Abraham, which Scott has been, uh, just had just started kind of working through uh, Abraham's life. And Jacob has these, these thoughts and dreams of being this patriarch and living in plenty. And yet, because of his own sin against his brother Esau, when we pick up the story in Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run, trying to get away from his older brother, who he has he is taken away the blessing in Esau's birthright. And he's done that in a deceitful way. He's lied with the help of his mother. And so Jacob flees because Esau pledges to kill him for what he's done to him. In Genesis 27, just a few verses before the passage we're about to read, this is what Isaac says to Jacob. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And that's, in a sense, Jacob's dream, to be that leader, to live in plenty, to rule and reign, to be blessed. But it's in Genesis 28, He's literally in the middle of nowhere and has nothing. Let me read 
Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for breathing out this message, not just for Jacob, not just for the Israelites, but for all your people. Holy Spirit, may we hear from you, work in our hearts and our minds. Christ, be exalted as we look at your word. And Father, be glorified by all that we do here today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So I titled this sermon, Jacob Sees Jesus. And in those 12 verses, Jesus is not mentioned. So you might be thinking, Adam, has he's lost it. And we're over here in Genesis talking about ladders and angels. And Adam's saying, hey, Jacob got, got a glimpse of who the Messiah was going to be. Matthew Henry, who's an old dead dude who commentates, has commentary on the entire Bible. He, said, he says this about this passage. I think this helps make this idea that Jacob sees Jesus more clear. He writes, Jesus is the ladder. The foot on earth is his human nature. The top in heaven is his divine nature. Or the former is his humiliation. The latter is his exaltation. All the intercourse between heaven and earth since the fall is by this ladder. Christ is the way. All God's favors come to us, and all our services go to him by Christ. God dwells with us, and we with him. It is by Christ. We have no way of getting to heaven but by this ladder. If we climb up any other way, we are thieves and robbers. 
But really what this passage is about is a, is a picture of the gospel. How Christ was given so that we could have a relationship with a holy God. That sinful man could come before holy God with no barriers, unencumbered. Regardless of our circumstances or our sins. That we could come to the Lord anytime, anywhere, and in any situation that we want to. The birth of Christ, which we just celebrated a month ago, really is the birth of our way to holy God. Because we sinned. Man sinned, and man had to die, and that man was Jesus. Yet, God demanded a perfect, unblemished sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice is also Jesus. You see, Jesus had a human nature and a divine nature simultaneously. So this ladder that we see that Jacob saw with its top in heaven and its, its bottom was touching the earth is a picture of Jesus. It's that picture of Jesus that we have as our high priest where he holds our hand in his hand and grips the Father's hand with his other hand. He's the one that stands between sinful man like you and like me and holy God. It is a picture of the gospel. There is humility and, and holiness in this ladder. We see both. There's hope and comfort in this ladder. Christ was born and he lived and he died and at, at, the, at that dark, literally dark moment of his death, Luke talks about the veil and the temple being torn in two. And that veil was a barrier to keep the high priest from entering into the, the deathly glory of God Almighty. And what Luke is saying is that's gone. Now you sinful people, you can come in through the righteousness and the work of Jesus Christ. He made access for sinners to interact, to commune with God. And that's why Paul can say, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who has secured this relationship with the Lord for us. It's not of our own effort or our own works. It is Christ's life and death and his resurrection that has secured this opportunity for us to commune with a holy father. Christmas is the beginning of that work. But the end of this work is this communion with our Holy Father. And ultimately, when Christ returns, every hindrance, every hurdle to perfect, eternal communion with God will be removed. And we will reunite with Him in a way that brings perfection to our minds, our souls, our bodies. It brings perfection in all relationships and creation. In other words, there are so 
many blessings that come from this ladder, from this connection that we have with a holy God through Jesus Christ. So many blessings. And that's really what Jacob's dream is pointing to, a time when this dream would become a reality. When Jesus would become our great high priest and eternally stand between God and God's people. So what I really want to talk about this morning through this passage is what are the implications of that? What are the implications of this latter Jesus Christ that connects heaven with earth? That connects sinful man with holy God? And there's so many. But in this passage, I think we see three blessings of this connection with Christ. First, in verses 10 through 12, we see this blessing, that God often meets us in the most unlikely places. God meets us in the most unlikely places. So this, this dream is God meeting his people, particularly Jacob in this moment. But 1,500 years later, God is also going to meet his people in the flesh through the birth of his son to Mary and Joseph. It's a very similar situation. Jacob is tired, he's weary. Joseph and Mary are tired and weary. And they, they go to a place of rest just like Jacob does. And she gives birth to the Messiah. Well, Jacob has walked probably 40 miles, roughly, and he's exhausted, so he kind of decides to grab some shade of these trees, and he sits down, and it gets dark, and he decides he'll spend the night there. I can't imagine the situation, but try to put yourself there. You've walked 40 miles. I can't imagine that. But he's doing that because he's on the run from his brother who's trying to kill him. And he really has nothing. He's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I mean, the scripture doesn't even name the place. It just says he came to a certain place. In other words, he's in the middle of nowhere. But here's what's interesting. He lays down, takes a rock as a, as a pillow, and he goes to sleep. And so often I think that we feel like in order for us to meet with Jesus, to, to commune with the holy God, we've got to work hard. We've got to put a lot of effort into it. And yet, God meets Jacob when he's completely unconscious. I mean, he's sleeping. He's not leading worship. He's not doing a Bible study. He's not sharing his faith. He's asleep. And the Lord in his goodness comes to Jacob. Now look, I, I'm not encouraging, don't read your Bible, don't serve the Lord. But the problem in our culture is we, the people that are successful are the ones who work the hardest. And often we kind of pull those same principles into our relationship with the Lord. And as I read the Bible... That's just not how God's economy works. 
so often we are reminded over and over, especially in the Psalms, things like this from Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. That gives me angst. Like just to stand up here and tell you to stop working, stop striving, that, that there's something in me that's like, I don't think I, I don't know if I really need to say that. Because my DNA says work hard. Achieve. Our culture teaches us that. We are people who do and strive and work. And our culture in 2022, an unlikely place that I was talking about earlier is this place of being still and quiet. We are so connected with our phones. There's so much information that comes at us every day, so much that we can't deal with it. It creates anxiety and fear. It's a very unlikely place to, to get away from all that, to find a quiet place and meet with the Lord. But you may have an experience like Jacob, where the Lord meets with you in that quiet, in that still, unconnected moment. And maybe it's not busyness for you. Maybe it's not that you've got a lot going on or you're working or you're striving. Maybe you're more, uh, you're suffering more from fear and anxiety and worry and loneliness. Some of these emotions have just kind of been weighing on you. But God is there. He's there in those moments. It's, it's funny to me that Jacob, in verse 16, he's very surprised that, hey, I'm in the middle of nowhere, I'm sleeping with my head on a rock, and yet God came to me and he says that, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Maybe you're in one of those situations right now where you feel like the Lord is not in this place that you're in. But if you belong to the Lord, that is just not true. He promises his presence to you wherever you go and whatever you do. How many times have, have we looked back on situations in our life where we thought God was just not present? Wasn't with us, was off maybe taking a nap, or he was taking a vacation. But we, we look back on that now some time later and we see the hand of God at work in that situation. At the time, it doesn't feel like God is with us. But what scripture tells us is that he is wherever you go. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And that's not dependent upon how well you're doing with your quiet time or your church attendance or sharing your faith. That's dependent upon 
the power and the goodness and mercy of God. That was secured for you when Christ was on the cross and was tortured and murdered for your sin and my sin. So if you're here and you feel like you're, you're resonating with that whole my dreams have been dashed sort of thing, you're lonely or disappointed, then take heart because you have a, a God who is a good father and loves to give good gifts to you. You have Christ as your high priest. And, and we've already read Paul in Romans, nothing can separate you from God your father or Christ your high priest. Nothing. Not angels, not demons, not heights, not depths. Not anything in all creation, which includes you and your sin. It can't separate you from God. He promises this kind of presence with Jacob in verse 15. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. This is a significant blessing that only those who belong to Christ get to enjoy. Is God's presence, his meeting with us, not just when we're doing really well and being really holy. He meets with us in all kinds of places, many of which seem very unlikely to us. The second blessing I think we see in these verses are found in verses 13 through 15. And it's this, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines, which is a weird saying. But this is what I mean, that sinful people, we're crooked, right? We have issues. These sinful, crooked people, God can use through his power and his might to draw straight lines, to do good, to serve others, to have an impact on the world. Look at Jacob as this example. I mean, he comes from a long line of sinners. Right? His whole family is sinful. I mean, you don't have to go back but about a chapter, chapter and a half to see his deceitful mother, his brother who is enraged and wants to kill him. And in the middle of all this, Jacob is visited by the Lord. And God makes these incredible promises to him. Like, I would think in the midst of this, the Lord would visit Jacob and say, I'm going to have to smash you because you were really sinful. Like, that's my expectation of what the visit from the Lord would be like. And yet, here's, here's what the Lord says to him when he visits with him. I will give you this land. Your offspring will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you till I've done what I've promised. That's incredible. He's in the midst of the consequences of his own sin. Okay? He's not like running because the sinful actions of some, somebody else. He is running because he is suffering through the consequences of his own sin, and yet the Lord visits him and makes these amazing promises to him. And the Bible is full of these moments where God 
visits his sinful people, and he blesses them in a way that they become blessings for all kinds of other people. And maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe you feel like that crooked stick. Maybe you're like, man, I come from a long line of crooked sticks, whole families of crooked sticks. And maybe that just kind of weighs on you. Like, I, I, I won't amount to anything for the kingdom because look at my family. Look at my own sin, my own heart, my own struggles. But here's the truth. This ladder that Jacob saw, that's how crooked sticks are redeemed for God's glory. How they're used to draw straight lines. It's through Christ. Because Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, and we all with unveiled face. Remember the veil in the temple? So what Paul is saying is that's been removed. You can go see God eye to eye. You can face to face like Moses did. All with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image, the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. In other words, you, if you are joined to Christ, are being transformed into a vessel that the Lord will use. Why? Because you have unencumbered access to the Father. He can fill you with His Spirit. He can equip you to do ministry. You're not the same. Your family doesn't define you. Your sin doesn't define you. Your connection with this ladder, this gate of heaven, Jesus Christ, is what defines you. And through His power, He'll transform you. That's how we crooked sticks can draw straight lines. So we need to enter into people's pain and suffering and be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to speak up to the friend who's struggling and we need to share our faith when we're waiting in the checkout line at the grocery store. And I know that even as I'm saying that, that the enemy is whispering to you, you can't do that. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. They're going to reject you. And you're just thinking, man, I can't do that. And you know what? You're right. You can't do that. But Christ in you and through you can. That's what causes Paul to say, when I am weak, he is strong. That owning your weakness, being honest about that, puts you in a place where God can use you mightily. So don't underestimate your ability in Him. When you think you're incapable of helping the Lord, you're in a perfect place to be filled by Him and to build His kingdom. Man, I can't imagine Jacob was thinking when he laid down on that rock, man, I feel great. I feel empowered by the Lord. I'm about to do some great things for Israel. I have to imagine, given his circumstances, that he was struggling. And God empowers him to give birth to sons who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of which will be Joseph, who will save God's people from famine. It's a blessing from the Lord. 
take you and me, crooked sticks with our problems and our failings and our shortcomings. And he takes us and he puts us into his kingdom and equips us to lead other people into that kingdom. Crazy blessing. Amazing. All right, last thing here. Another blessing, verses 16 through 22. God gives our lives purpose and enables us to fulfill that purpose. The psalmist writes in Psalm 8, which is one of my favorite psalms, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. In other words, we are the crown of God's creation. Every person has dignity because of that. But Christians especially... have the honor and the glory of God bestowed upon them. Because we were made to glorify the Lord. And so when He takes away our blindness, when He changes our heart, He puts His Spirit within us, we are fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. And lost people, those who don't know Jesus, don't have that benefit. Can they be happy at times and joyful at times? Sure. But they'll never experience a life that's lived with purpose. A purpose that will last for all eternity. And the great thing about that is it's not like it's a begrudging following of Jesus. It's just he's barking orders and we're responding. Christ says, look, if you do this, if you connect with me and you fulfill your purpose... In John 15, he actually says, it'll make your joy complete. You'll experience full joy. And without him, you won't experience full joy. We see this in Jacob in these verses. God meets with him. He wakes up. Verse 17, he says, how awesome is this place? Sets up a pillar, consecrates it, promises to give God a tenth of all that he's been given. He even calls that place God's house. He worships. He fulfills the purpose for which he was created. To worship the Lord. And again, it's not, he's, he's not begrudgingly submitting to the Lord. That is his response to the love and goodness of God. It's this thankful heart. And I think it, it begs the question of us, do we see our lives like that? Do we see all of our lives, all of our life as an opportunity to worship God, to serve Him? It, when you show up on Sunday mornings, are you here to give a joyful response to a good Father who made a way for you to interact with Him through Christ? And out of that joy and thankfulness comes your worship. Or do you just show up here on Sunday mornings because this is what you've done for years? We didn't earn any of this. We didn't earn God showing up in our dark places, walking with us through our suffering and our pain. 
We didn't earn God taking broken vessels, crooked sticks, and using them to redeem other broken vessels and crooked sticks. We don't deserve those things. That is all what Christ has purchased for us in his life, death, and resurrection. One of the many blessings that the Lord gives us is giving our lives meaning and purpose. And it's all the good work of a merciful Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The way we should respond to that is through worship and service. Because Jesus reminds us whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the crazy thing about that is we find complete joy. Will that make everything easy? Absolutely not. It's a struggle. But even in your darkest moments, you have the presence of the Lord. This is just a handful of the blessings that come through our being united with Christ. And it's crazy to me as I read this passage that this, these blessings come to a sinful man, Jacob, who was exhausted and lonely, who was scared, who was literally on the run trying to save his life. And in that moment, God meets with him, and he's changed forever. His dream of this ladder, this gate of heaven, would see its consummation some 1,500 years later when a young, sinful couple who were, who were exhausted tried to find rest in a really unrestful barn in Bethlehem. And the Messiah would be born. He would be the gate of heaven for God's people. He would make a way for sinful people to have unencumbered access to God. And I hope that you hear that. And if you don't take anything else away from this, hear that. Not your sin, not the brokenness of this world, not your efforts or lack thereof, but God's grace and mercy to you through Christ. You can stand face to face with the creator of the universe. That presence with his people would allow God to be with them in every situation, good or bad, in want and in plenty. And it would allow, his presence would allow for these sinful people to be able to draw a straight line. It would allow for these sinful people to live out their purpose that they were created for. So dream your dreams. But don't just let them be earthly dreams. Let those dreams be submissive to this dream that we see Jacob dreaming. This dream of a reality now. That dream was pointing forward. But that, that dream was realized on the cross. That reality of God making a way for us to have eternal peace with him. The reality of God using crooked people to draw straight lines. It is a reality that will outlast any dream you have. Because it's a reality that has its roots, it's anchored in eternity. Or maybe I should say eternity is anchored 
in that reality and in Christ. So I'd encourage you to repent of your small dreams and embrace this reality of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And enjoy His presence in the good times and the bad. Embody His purposes and build His kingdom because you have His presence with you. And worship Him who made a way for sinful people to be in a relationship with the Holy God. It's an incredible blessing. It's really hard to put into words. Hard to wrap my mind around all the good that came from and comes from Christ being the gate of heaven. This ladder that has one foot in heaven and one foot on the earth. But I hope that encourages you this week to take heart, to take risks, to exalt the name of Christ, and to worship whatever your circumstances may be. Let me pray. God, thank you for all these blessings we have in Christ. and We don't really understand how great those are. They're of infinite worth, and Lord, we have finite minds that can't really wrap our arms around those truths. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand this better? Would you help us to see you in those unlikely places? Would you help us to draw straight lines in our neighborhood, in our families, at work, at school? And Lord, would you help us to fulfill our purpose, which is to worship and glorify you in everything that we do? King Jesus, bring us comfort and joy. In your name we pray.